Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Glad you are with us. My name is Brian Lee, pastor here. Um, just real quick, before I dive in, um, yesterday was amazing. We had hundreds, hundreds of people um, on our property for our bunny bash. And so just one more shout out to all of the people in 110 degree heat, give or take, that volunteered, served like crazy. Those of you who've given financially, those of you who invited, it's just a massive um, opportunity for us to let our community know that we are for them, which is the whole point of yesterday. So if you would just give it up to everybody who's a part of that, it was absolutely amazing. And then I don't need to tell you this next weekend, an incredible time to invite. We've got four services, two days, starting on Saturday night at five and then three on Sunday morning. So I encourage you last week, um, last year at our later services, we had overflow into the lobby. We have um, a bunch of plans for that this year, but we have more people than we had last year. So if there's any way that you could come to the 10 or the 10, the uh, five o'clock on Saturday or the 8.30 on Sunday morning, if you've got kids like me, they're gonna be up at like 2.30 a.m. And so that's an easy service for you to go to. Um, but if that's possible, that'll help us with space issues. And we cannot wait um, from the youngest kid all the way up. I think it's gonna be an unbelievable weekend and an incredible opportunity. In fact, that's kind of what I want to talk about for a few minutes in part two of this series, My Church, is this whole idea of the power of an invitation. And the thing that I mentioned last week that is so powerful is when this thing that is just the church becomes my church, like when it moves from something I attend to a movement I'm a part of, it has the potential to change everything. And I get some of you, you're not even sure about the church. I don't even know if you like the church. I get all that. You don't have to do anything that I'm talking about. But if you're a follower of Jesus, like this is a big deal. And my hope for you, if we were to sit down like over coffee or you know, some kind of stronger drink, depending on your background, and we just had a conversation, the thing that I would wish for your life is at some point along the way, somebody that you deeply care about, not an acquaintance, but somebody like you know them, and it's a son, it's a daughter, it's a, you know, a sister-in-law, it's just a coworker, it's a teacher, it's a mentor of yours, it's somebody you got to know in the neighborhood. And you get to experience being a part through an invitation of watching that be the catalyst for somebody's life to change. There is nothing like it. And there's something that happens when you're a part of that, where all of a sudden, what was abstract becomes really, really personal and you take ownership and stewardship. And that's a big deal because we said this last week, Jesus on a hillside on another probably 110 degree day with a group of followers with no influence and no money. And he made this ridiculous promise. I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell and death are not going to be able to stop it. And no matter what happens, because Jesus knew better than anybody, the church was going to be a mess. There's going to be leaders that let you down. There would be moments in culture where you would have really bad PR like right now and that people would be let down and people would be dysfunctional and it would be a mess and people would be hurt and trauma would happen. But in every generation, when people come around Jesus as the lead story and they make him the thing, that when the church is on mission, 
nothing can stop it. Not the hell of abusive leaders, not the hell of your bad church experience, not the hell of being kicked out, not the hell of addiction, not the hell of mental illness, not the hell of multi-generational sin. There is nothing, not death, not hell that can stop Jesus from fulfilling his promise. In every city, every community, and every generation, there will always be a remnant and nothing is gonna be able to stop my church. And then Jesus, he let us know what it was to look like right after his death and resurrection. He's basically like, I'm going to peace out, which means I'm not going to be on planet earth physically any longer. And now I'm starting this new movement called the church. And in the New Testament, it says that it would be the body of Christ. So whatever Jesus was like, the church should look like. And Jesus said to that group of people as they started this new movement, that you are going to be the closest thing that people are going to get to Jesus this side of heaven, which is daunting and intimidating and terrifying. But this is going to be your role in culture. And I want you to take the baton of this movement and this church, and I want you to rep me well. And if people want to know what Jesus is like, I want them to be able to look at the church on mission in every city and every community. That's what you're supposed to do. And that's kind of the problem, isn't it? Because in a lot of cases, we don't look anything like that. And just knowing the diversity of our church and how many people attend who are kind of have walked away or coming back after a really bad experience, like part of your obstacle to Jesus was the church. In fact, for six weeks, just quick plug here, because I'm so excited about this. I'm going to talk about that very fact. Like, I think we live in a cultural moment. This is not being, being cynical or being harsh. You just need to know. I love the local church, even with all of its flaws. When it's on mission, I think it's the hope of the world. But I'm also really, really plugged in, because I just, this is kind of the world I live in, that so many people have walked away because the church looked nothing like Jesus. That what Jesus launched in the first century, the church specifically in the United States, in a lot of cases, is a far cry from what Jesus actually intended. So for six weeks after Easter, I'm going to talk about that whole thing. That the brand of Christianity that many of you experience, that many of your friends have experienced, your adult son that won't come to church, the brand of Christianity that many of us have experienced in the church looks nothing like what Jesus intended. And in fact, Jesus came to give us a brand new perspective on what it means to follow Jesus and what it could do in our lives, in our city, in our culture. And a lot of cases, we don't look anything like that. And so for six weeks, we're going to talk about it. In fact, that's the whole reason we started this church. I'm not going to tell the story because I tell it so often, but I got to know a girl um, by the name of Lauren. I was in um, business for a while before I I just felt like God called it audible in the direction he wanted for my life. And I got to know her and she was interested in like Jesus and God, but the church had been a huge obstacle to her really wanting to have anything to do with him because she had such a bad experience. So I, I was trying to figure out like, where do I invite her? Because I knew that for her to take Jesus seriously, she needed to see a different kind of church and a church on mission. And I couldn't find a place to invite her to. And that's not because there's not great churches, but at her at that point in her life, there was kind of nobody that was speaking her language. And so rather than inviting her to a church, I just decided I needed to start a church. I'm not recommending that for you. That's not my bottom line at the end of the day. Like maybe you should start a church. I'm just saying it was a big deal. And our area did not need a, another church. It did need a different kind of church for people like her who had not seen the church on mission the way that Jesus intended and now like we're, we're in this space where God has called us in our city and our community to rep Jesus and be Jesus on mission to everybody that we come in contact with. And the invitation is really, really simple. And this is what I want to look at for a few minutes. The invitation that you see all throughout the New Testament is just this. 
Come and see. Come and see. Not come and believe. Not come and get rid of all your doubts and questions. Not come and throw your intellect aside. Not come and change all of your behavior. The invitation was just come and see. And if you encounter what Jesus is really offering, it might change you forever. And here's the thing I want to talk about and why it's, it's a big deal if you're a follower of Jesus who in any way considers this your church or you're thinking about it, you listen on the radio somewhere and you don't have the courage to come yet. If you in any way consider this your church, there's two reasons this is a big deal to be a part of this invitation to other people to come and see. Because the first thing is it keeps our church focused on the mission that God's called us to. And I'll tell you why in a few minutes. And the second thing it will do, and just mark this down, is that at some point, when you step out to do this, you will feel as dependent on God as you've ever felt in your life. And somewhere along the way, this will become not just something you attend, it will become something that you own. All of a sudden, Jesus' mission, our mission, becomes really personal. Suddenly, you're a part of something bigger than you. This is my church. Now, real quick before I dive in, um, some of you are like, I said, I don't know if I even like the church. I'm not sure what I think about Jesus. And so I get all of that, probably better than you realize. And so for the next couple of minutes, you don't have to do anything that I'm talking about. You can ignore it. You can point and call us hypocrites. I don't really care. I'm just glad you're here and you're investigating. But here's what I hope happens in the next few minutes is that maybe you get a glimpse of what Jesus is offering that might be very different than what other Christians have represented to you. And the invitation to you is the same. It's not, you got to believe everything in this moment. It's not clean up your behavior. It's not throw away your questions. Jesus invites you to come and see, which means investigate, follow. And if you investigate and follow long enough, you might come to the fact that you believe what I believe, that Jesus lived, Jesus died, and that Jesus walked out of a grave alive and validated everything he said about his life. The most, I think, clear example of this come and see invitation um, is in a passage of scripture written by John. And like, and again, you see this all throughout the New Testament. Jesus is with his guides or his followers. They are basically, this is the height of Jesus, you know, ministry tour. I mean, everybody loves Jesus at this point. Um, they are constantly running into the Pharisees who are giving them all kinds of trouble, which is on the religious leaders of the day. And so Jesus and his guys are literally just exhausted physically, mentally, spiritually, and what I love is about, you know, throughout the Gospels, you see Jesus, 100% God, but 100% human. Like gets tired, um, has had enough. This is me at the end of spring break two weeks ago. I love my kids. Um, I have four of them. They're amazing. But it gets to that point about Friday at the end of spring break. We're like, I love you. I need you to leave. Like it, this is way too much time. And so Jesus' guys are just there. Like they're just exhausted. And John, who is closest to Jesus and was an eyewitness writes this about this encounter that I want to look at. And I'm going to look at it in the message paraphrase, which I never do. Usually I'm out of NIV, because I think this brings this story to life in an incredible way. Here's what John writes, that Jesus and his guys came to Sychar, a Samaritan village that bordered the field Jacob had given his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was still there, which is just a bunch of history. Jesus, worn out by the trip, which I love because he's just real, sat down at the well and it was noon, which is a big detail. And a woman, verse seven, a Samaritan came to draw water and Jesus said to her, would you give me a drink of water? And this may be a story, you know, even if you didn't grow, around the, grow up around the church. And at this point, it just seems like it's, this is pretty benign. He sees this lady at a well, asks for a drink of water. Um, but there's a couple things at play here. Number one, the fact that it's noon is a big deal. 
And noon is a big deal because nobody in that area of the country at this period of time would go draw water at noon. So again, it's probably about 140 degrees heat index. It's in the middle of the desert. That is not the time that you go, why in the world is she out there drawing water at noon? And then the second thing is cultural context. I won't go too deep into this, but there are all kinds of social norms that Jesus completely ignores. Number one, she's a Samaritan. Nobody talked to Samaritans. Number two, he's a woman. Just ignores that. This was an inappropriate conversation to have. Quick side note. This is what's fascinating about Jesus' ministry. You look at what he introduced in about 33 years. You look at what he did specifically in the first 300 years and the fact that it absolutely obliterated the Roman Empire without raising a sword or assembling an army. Jesus completely undid cultural norms, not by confronting them head on, but by simply undermining them by his behavior from the bottom up. And then he got a group of Jesus followers to buy into that and do that. And by the third century, the Roman Empire, which was killing Christians, legislated that Christianity would be the legal religion of Rome. And all of that was because of what Jesus introduced. So here he is with this woman, a Samaritan in the middle of the day, and he asked for water. His disciples had gone to a village to buy food. In verse nine, the Samaritan woman, taken aback because of the fact that the whole interaction is, is unacceptable, asked, how come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? And then I love what Eugene, how Eugene Peterson puts it. Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to a Samaritan. Because this gets to really crass, but this is the way they thought. There was so much racial tension at this point that Jesus entered into. And the Samaritan was considered a half-breed. They weren't considered people. And then in a highly patriarchal society where women had no standing, women had no value. In fact, this interaction is not by accident. And Jesus would do more to elevate the status of women than anybody in the first century. And there he is with a Samaritan woman that he's not supposed to be talking to, ignoring all of the social norms. And in verse 10, Jesus answered, and this is such a big deal. This is a big deal for you. This is a big deal in terms of what God's called us to as a church. But here's what Jesus says, verse 10. If you knew the generosity of God in who I am, and Jesus would prove in a second that he knew exactly who she was. That wasn't, that wasn't the issue. If you knew who I was, if you knew who you were talking to, if you knew the generosity of God or literally all throughout the New Testament, the good news of what Jesus is offering, you would be asking me for a drink and I would give you fresh living water. Let me just pause right there for a second because obviously Jesus changed in the conversation. I'm not talking about physical water anymore. I, now I'm talking about your relationship with God and she knows this. And Jesus makes this really, really huge point that we have got to wrap our minds around. That Jesus is generous with his grace. That the gospel does not discriminate. It doesn't discriminate ethnically. It doesn't discriminate racially. It doesn't discriminate in terms of how big your rap sheet is. It doesn't discriminate in terms of the multi-generational dysfunction that you are caught up in. And I still don't think we fully understand this. Otherwise, we wouldn't continue to model pretentious churches where people feel like they've got to change to join. Jesus is generous with his grace. There is no limits to the good news of what Jesus is offering. And this is why so many individuals who don't understand this feel like this Samaritan woman, they have to be in hiding. 
Because here's the only reason that the Samaritan woman was coming to the well at noon when it was 140 degrees. She was hiding. She was in shame. She was carrying stuff that Jesus will re reveal in a few minutes. And she didn't want to be in contact with anybody else. And in this moment, Jesus is letting her know, you don't have to hide any longer. And the reason that so many of our churches and so many people feel like they have to come and change something in order to begin to follow or investigate Jesus is because I'm convinced we do not know how good the good news of Jesus actually is. And this ridiculous idea that to just preach good news or grace untethered or without a governor is somehow watering down the message. That is the message. It's grace and truth. The truth is your sin is a big deal and you are a mess and God's grace is bigger. The message is, no, 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 your dysfunction is a big deal. Jesus' grace is bigger. Yes, you have a generational line of can't get it together. And if you would ever come to the place to realize that the good news of Jesus is good news to your family line, yes, that sin and dysfunction is a big deal. His grace is bigger. It's why it's called good news. And many of you have been around the church and it never felt like good news. And if it doesn't, it's because we're doing it wrong. And so verse 11, the woman said, sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with, which is basically, I don't want to have this conversation. The well's deep. And so how are you going to, her air quotes, how are you going to get this living water that you're talking about? Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob who dug this well and drank from it? And he is his, his sons and his livestock passed it down to us, which is basically Again, for reasons that we'll see in just a second, her being defensive. Because as soon as Jesus starts dropping the God talk, she thinks like a lot of us think, or maybe what you thought at one time. If, if there is some kind of connection with God that he's talking about, I can guarantee you I'm not a candidate for that. And so she doesn't want to have the conversation. So Jesus says, verse 13, everyone who drinks this water is going to get thirsty again. And again, Jesus switching the conversation. I'm not talking about water anymore. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about your life. And I'm, I'm talking about this metaphor that every single individual Jesus would say is drawn from some kind of well. For love, for acceptance, for worth, for security, for identity. I mean, whatever it is, those things in the human heart that you're just after those. And Jesus is like, there's a bunch of things that you can pursue to try to get that stuff. Whether it's your kids' achievements, whether it's sex, whether it's another relationship, whether it's your market share, whether it's the business, whether it's some other kind of achievement, whether it's outdoing like whoever came before you and, and trying to prove something to your dad. I mean, whatever it is, whatever you're trying to get love, accept is worth and security. Jesus is making this point in this moment. You just need to understand you are pulling from some kind of well. And what he's about to say to this woman is, if it's not me, whatever that thing is that you're pursuing, it will overpromise and it'll underdeliver every single time. And you'll just have to come back for more. And so he says, whoever drinks the water that I'm giving you, like love, joy, peace, contentment that's only found in me, anyone who drinks this is never going to thirst, not ever. The water I give is an artesian spring, gushing fountains of endless life. And the woman said, sir, give me this water. 
But really, it, it, like really understanding the context, he's just being sarcastic. Like if there's a God, I guarantee I don't have connection with him. And whatever this living water is, sounds great. And if you're offering it, then I'll never have to come back here again and bring my jar. This is, a, this is a lot of time. I don't like coming out of here at noon. I'm melting. It's 140 degrees. So if you've got it, bring it to me. But the whole thing is sarcasm. Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and we'll ever have to come back to this well again. And so Jesus, who kind of understands the play back and forth and her sarcasm says, verse 16, <laughs> he said, go, call your husband. Actually, you're gonna find on second, you have, you've had five of them. Call your husband's and then come back, which is, again, if, if you don't know the rest of the story, this is the point where if you're the woman, you're like, number one, Jesus, do you have any social IQ at all? Number two, I feel like you took the sarcasm a little too far. Like, have you ever done this? I'm not giving you marriage advice right now, but my wife and I are incredibly sarcastic. And I would argue that it's just signs of affection and we'll go back and forth and say sarcastic things and it's really funny. And then somebody goes too far. And the, the somebody 100% of the time is me. And so like a couple weeks ago, we're in the car driving. And I don't even remember what we were talking about. We we're just going back and forth with like sarcastic banter. And I think it's hilarious. And I think I'm hilarious. And so like she says something and then I shoot something back at her and out of nowhere, we're both laughing. And then I say something and immediately it's like, well, that sucks. Like I thought we were, I thought we were laughing. Like I thought we were both doing this. I thought it was just sarcasm. And then I'm sleeping on the couch. Like, because somebody takes it too far. I think this is the dynamic delay where this woman's like, yeah, 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 I hear you. If you've got living water, give it to me. If I don't ever have to come here and draw water again, that's amazing. And then Jesus turned and is like, where are your five husbands at? Okay, that's taking it too far. But here's what Jesus is actually doing. This is such a big deal. Jesus knows, like all of us, that there is a primary obstacle to her willingness to move in the direction of God. There's a reason that she's hiding, in this case, like physically hiding. And the reason is because there's some stuff that she's carrying and Jesus in this moment, in his grace, and sometimes Jesus' grace will initially wound before it heals. And Jesus takes this opportunity, eyeball to eyeball with this woman at the well that he shouldn't be talking to anyway, according to their social norms. And he reaches into the most painful, shameful part of her life. And he intentionally brings it to the surface. And there's a reason that he does this. Because in this moment, he is letting her know in no uncertain terms, hey, I know. I know. In fact, the whole interaction, what's important here is that you get to know who I am. I already know who you are. I already know why you're here in the middle of the day drawing water. I already know what you're carrying. I already know the shame that you've been dragging around. I already know that this is the primary obstacle of you having a relationship with God. And I love this because in this moment, Jesus is saying, this may be an obstacle for you. This is not an obstacle for me. For some of you, the porn addiction, the walked out three years ago, the secret that you're carrying, the inconsistency in your spiritual journey that just 
haunts you, the thing that you just can't get past, the doubt that continues to run you down. And that thing is the obstacle. And rather than moving you toward God, it moves you in another direction. That's why you've never felt at home in the church, because we tend to not make spaces for people who feel that way. We just kind of tell them to pretend and act like they don't have any questions. And I'm telling you, the good news of the gospel that Jesus puts on display with this woman is that thing may be an obstacle for you and it's not an obstacle for me. And so verse 17, she's like, I have no husband. And Jesus, that is nicely put, I have no husband. You've had five of them. And by the way, the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. You spoke the truth, sure enough. And just real quick to give a little cultural context. This is a highly patriarchal society. Men could divorce women for any reason. Women could not divorce men for any reason at all. It was all out of balance, which means that most likely the issue here is rejection. She could not initiate divorce, which means she had been rejected over and over and over and over and over again. And she carries all the stuff that comes with that. And we don't know a lot about her, but we know this. That wasn't her dream. That's not where she wanted to be at. She's got a dude living on her couch right now. She's not sure what to do with. And she's been rejected. And she assumes if God's showing up, God's going to reject her too. And Jesus is saying in this moment, listen, I already know you. And I love you anyway. And so verse 19, she's not going to give up though. She's still on the defensive. Oh, so you're a prophet? Well, tell me this, our ancestors worship God in this mountain, but you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship, right? Which basically, I'm still not, if you are who you are saying you are, I'm still not convinced that you're gonna accept me. I think the other thing she probably had in the back of our mind, which is the church is notorious for, and I'm not being cynical, I'm just repeating what many of you have experienced. The, the other part of it is the cynicism of, okay, yeah, you're going to tell me you accept me. And then the moment I believe you, then I'm going to be on the clock. You're like, you got three weeks to get all that stuff straightened out. Like you got three weeks to clean up your behavior. And so instead of like falling for it, she kind of throws a theological misdirect. And so verse 21, Jesus responds, believe me, woman, the time's coming when you Samaritans will worship the father, neither here or on this mountain, nor in Jerusalem. The time is coming and it has in fact come when what you're called will not matter and where you go to worship is not going to matter. It's who you are. And by the way, you're an image bearer of God, no matter how many times you've been married and how you live that counts before God. And then Jesus would define it loving other people the way that he's loved you and your worship must engage your spirit. Let me, don't, don't lose me. In the pursuit of truth, that's the kind of people the father is out looking for. Those, this is so important, who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself spirit and those who worship him, follow Jesus, must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. Let me interpret that. Here's here's all he, he means. I've dug up the most painful, shameful part of your life because that shame that you're carrying around 
is an obstacle for you and you think it keeps you at distance from God forever. And I have come with good news that that shame does not have to go with you any longer. And here's the thing with shame real quick. Shame keeps us from being simply and honestly ourselves before Jesus. And can I just tell you something real quick? And I don't have time to do this justice. But the moment your life is going to begin to change is the moment that God's good news is not just good news when you think you're performing well. But when you are at your worst, you're having your worst day. And suddenly in that moment, you recognize that even at your worst, what Jesus is offering is still good news, that his grace is still enough, that you are still accepted. I'm telling you, that is the moment you will begin to understand what Jesus is actually offering. And ironically, that is the moment that Jesus actually begins to free you from all of the behavior that you don't want to have a part of your life any longer. The gospel is not good news for people who are performing well. The gospel is good news for people who are not gonna get it right. And you're never gonna be perfect this of heaven and the moment that you are able to feel acceptance even when you're a mess is the moment that you're understanding what it means to follow Jesus and if our churches understood that more people would feel at home second thing shame lies to us because shame will constantly tell you that your behavior is who you are you are what you did listen if you're in Christ your behavior or your bad decisions are an event. They're not an identity. Your identity remains in Christ regardless of what the behavior looks like. But shame will constantly lie to you to keep you stuck that you are what you do. No, you are who Jesus says you are. And then shame enslaves us to our past, enslaves us from getting past our past. And then shame causes us to fear and ultimately, you get to a place where because of what has happened or what you've done, you start to have the mindset of, I deserve to be rejected. And in this moment, Jesus is going, I'm telling you, it's no accident I'm here at the middle of the day talking to a Samaritan woman. This is good news for you. Hey, guys, just real quick. This is the message of the local church. This is what we're to offer, and this is what we're to exhibit in every community, in every city, in every generation. End of the story. The woman said, I don't know about that. Verse 25. I do know the Messiah is coming, and when he arrives, we'll get the whole story. And then verse 26, I love this. I think Jesus just awkwardly stares at her for a few minutes, just lets her feel it, and then says, hey, I am he. What you're waiting for, the freedom that you're looking for, the ability to put aside the shackles and the bonds of this shame forever, you don't need to wait any longer. I'm the guy. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am he. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. And then verse 27, this is so real. Then Jesus and his disciples came back and they were shocked and they couldn't believe that he was talking with that kind of woman. Church people haven't changed a whole lot. And no one said what they were all thinking, but their faces showed it. And this is honestly heartbreaking to me. Verse 28, the woman took the hint and she left. 
because you can say whatever you want to and have whatever you want painted on your walls and make whatever you want as a mission statement. Acceptance and rejection are telegraphed. And it's one thing to say that we believe that Jesus offers good news for all people and that everybody is invited in regardless of their mess. It's another thing to make people actually feel that. And what the ironic thing is, the very dudes who are judging her, as we'll find out just a few chapters later, are a mess. We'll look at it next week. All of them betray Jesus on Easter weekend. And in this moment, for some reason, they're not realizing, no, everybody is on an equal plane and everybody shares one thing in common. They need a savior. They're not that savior and Jesus is. And so the woman who feels direction in her confusion, she left her pot, her water jug, went back to the village. And I love this. She is undeterred and she goes to tell the people. And just real quick, this is the invitation. I, I, I read you this entire narrative for this. This is the invitation. This is central to our culture as a church. This has been the invitation of this movement that Jesus started from the very beginning. She runs back to the town, to the people that she has been hiding from because of her shame. And it says, she goes back and says to them, come and what? See, not come and believe, not come and change, not come and forget all of your doubts and questions. Jesus never invited you into that. Jesus never invited you into intellectual dishonesty, but just come and see, come and investigate, come and see a man who knew all about the things I did, who knows me inside and out. And I don't know what this looked like, but I imagine because she runs back there, she forgets her water jug, which is the whole reason she came there in the first place. She's probably panting and out of breath. And she's like, you got to go see this guy. It's amazing. You just need to come and see. He knows everything that I've ever did. And by the way, you guys know everything I did too, right? Because I walked through the village and you're whispering about it all the time. I know that you know, I know you make jokes about me. Ah, she's a lady with five husbands and she's got a dude on her couch right now. I know you talk about this all the time. In fact, I'm at the well at noon hiding from you because I have so much shame. But here I am face to face with you and I'm acknowledging, yeah, it's true. I've had five husbands and I got a guy on my couch and I've been rejected a bunch of times and he knows that and he accepts me anyway. And because he knows and he accepts me, I don't really care if you accept me anymore because you're not that big a deal. I just confronted my savior. And by the way, you might have some stuff that you're hiding too. You're just better at playing the game. So you need to come and see a guy who knows everything I've ever done, but accepts me anyway, knows me inside and out and loves me anyway. And the moment that's enough, I don't really care what you think. I don't really care if you hold my past over me because he's not holding my past over me. My shame is no longer an enemy. My shame now becomes a platform for Jesus to show off his grace and his mercy in my life. That's the power that Jesus has in every single human heart when we understand what he's actually offering. Come and see a man who knew all about the things I did and knows me inside and out. I think he might be the Messiah. And they went out to see it for themselves. And she was so liberated by his acceptance of her. She leaves her water pot and just runs. But she also left her shame. And she also set down her guilt. 
and her life didn't magically get a whole lot better. Everything wasn't rearranged in the moment. She's still got a guy she's got to figure out what to do with. And yet she didn't let any of that stop her. Because the moment you understand what Jesus is offering, even before the behavior is changed, you recognize God can change a heart before he changes behavior. And the message is good news, not because I played the religious game, grew up in Sunday school, maybe don't have a past. I mean, that's amazing. Congratulations. This woman's like, no, no, opposite story of a big time past, a lot of rejection, a lot of hurt. It makes the message of Jesus even more spectacular. He loved me. He knew me. You should come and see. And I just want to end with this. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus. That's what we've been given the baton of in our city, in our community, in our generation. This is the message that Jesus displayed everywhere he went all throughout his life. You should read it for yourself. Basically, his message was this. This is my paraphrase. That God could never love you more and nothing you could do could cause him to love you less. And that's not watering down the message. That is the message because the message is costly. Jesus gave up his life. And Jesus isn't offering that to a future version of you, which is what some of you think. He's offering it to you. And to everybody you're eyeball to eyeball with, algebra two class, third floor, guy in the cubicle next to you, the neighbor that you can't stand, the mother-in-law that you don't want to visit next weekend for brunch, the individual that's gotten on your nerves, the guy in the HOA that you really just want to go away, the individual that you've been at war with for a while, other individual that you do care about, but you just have never had the courage to say anything. Everybody that you are eyeball to eyeball with. God could not love them more and nothing they could do could cause God to love them less. And that's our invitation. And can I just say this to some of you? The invitation extended to somebody else to come and see you've held back on because of your own shame, your own guilt, your own past. Can I just tell you one of the things that God's going to use to actually move you beyond that is that in the midst of the stuff that you're still struggling with to step out anyway and go, I'm going to offer this invitation and other people may not receive it well. I may extend an invitation to come and see and they're like, are you kidding? Have you looked at your life? Why are you talking to me about God? Why are you extending an invitation to come and see? And I'm just telling you, when you understand the freedom that's in Christ, it doesn't matter. Yes, I'm a hypocrite. Yes, I'm a mess. Yes, I'm in process. I want to get better, but I'm not there yet. But that that makes the message that much more beautiful. Jesus knows me, accepts me, loves me. Hopefully I'm a part of the church that's doing the same thing. You got to come and see. And that is the thing in a lot of cases that God will use to take your pain and use it as a platform to show off his grace in your life. The message of Jesus is not how spectacular you are. It's how spectacular he is. That's the good news. And so I just want to encourage you all two things as we close. As you extend an invitation for somebody else to come and see, I just mean practically, the church, Jesus said, should be the closest thing we get to the body of Christ, this side of heaven, that we as a church have been called to rep Jesus in our city and community and beyond. And then when we invite others to come and see, it's not going to be perfect, but hopefully we're representing him enough to go, man, I'm telling you, if you experience this, it might rearrange your view of Jesus forever. And I'll tell you, it'll do two things specifically. It will keep us on mission as a church. If every Jesus follower apart of Centerpoint Church took this seriously, I'll tell you why. Because you need to see your faith through new lenses. 
And you need to see your faith through the lenses of people who maybe have fell on the outside like the Samaritan woman and they're just starting to come back because it'll change you. Because the gravitational pull of church people is to go, got my seat, I'm comfortable, I know the lingo, I even know that song, I even downloaded that song for extra credit, I'm in a group, everything's great, I've got my friends, I'm good. And Jesus would say to you, not in my movement, not in my church, not in my ecclesia. I came to seek and save the lost and you're my body. And when you invite, it does something. I'll tell you what will happen by experience. And many of you know this. You'll invite somebody on the outside and you'll be as nervous as anything when you come and they'll sit right next to you. And maybe you're one of those people that love music. And so you, maybe you've emailed somebody like, oh, I think you guys should sing eight songs every week. And then you invite somebody and by song two, you're like, this is kind of running long, Right? Because you're seeing it through somebody else's, you are afraid to death of what I'm going to say. Like, I hope he doesn't drop another stupid joke this week. I hope he doesn't say anything offensive. Who's that weird guy that hugged me in the parking lot? I mean, you view everything through that lens because suddenly you have fresh eyes. It's not just us and we're not just in a club. God has called us to be a church for the city because that's what Jesus came to represent and we're his body. And then the second thing it'll do, not only will it keep us mission focused, in fact, every week with our staff, we talk about this. Are there any unnecessary barriers? And listen, the barrier that we're not willing to remove is Jesus. And I get that he can be offensive sometimes, but we want to lead people to Jesus. And we want him to be our lead story. But, but everything else, we want to tear away every other unnecessary barrier as much as we can to not make it difficult, Acts 15, 9, to not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. And when you take that on, I'm telling you, it keeps us mission focused. But the second thing it'll do, suddenly, what is ethereal or intellectual will become personal. Because you can talk about what Jesus is offering. You can talk about how it's changed your life. When you get to be an, in, in, a, an, an integral, instrumental part in somebody else experiencing that, suddenly, what was just a verse, Jesus' mission, it becomes a part of what you have been invited into, a story that's bigger than yourself. Suddenly something that you attend becomes a movement you're a part of. Because you're not just tearing away barriers for nameless, faceless people. You're inviting somebody that you care about. It's, a, it's an adult son. It's a coworker that wants nothing to do with this. It's a friend from high school that's been deep in addiction for seven years. It's an ex that you don't really want to associate with, but you know God's calling you to move in their direction. It's a neighbor down the street. It's somebody who doesn't look like you, doesn't vote like you, doesn't share any of your values. And the moment you get to be a part of extending an invitation for somebody else to come and see, and then they receive that invitation and by God's grace, their life is redirected and rearranged forever. I'm telling you, it doesn't just change them, it changes you. You will never be the same again. And then you, you're a part of services where you watch people baptized. And some of you have experienced what it's like to be thanked in a baptism video because you were kind of the catalyst for the whole thing starting because you are willing to have 30 seconds of courage to just invite them, maybe risk reputation, risk a relationship, but to go, listen, you just have got to check that. I don't want to be a weird church person. I don't want to hard sell, but you just have got, you got to come and see, you got to check it out. And your invitation with it was the catalyst for everything changing in their life. And every single week we hear stories of marriages restored, addictions being overcome, people understanding their identity and who they are in Christ. 
And all of it started because somebody cared enough to do what we've been doing as a church for 2000 years since Jesus launched this. I can't answer all your questions. I don't know. I'm still a mess, maybe in some areas of my life. I haven't arrived yet. I still even have doubts and questions, but you have got to come and see a man who knows everything we've done and he accepts us anyway. That is the invitation of the local church. That's what we're to embody. And that's what our mission is in every city and every community. But I just wanna say this one thing because for some of you, this has been part of your resistance because there's been some, and I just say this in love, but some annoying Christian after you that made you feel like a project or a convert. Can I just say this to you real quick? You are not a project. You are not somebody to be converted. You are somebody who is made in the image of God. And we love you regardless of whether you ever believe what we believe. And in fact, can I just tell you, if you wanna be most like Jesus, go find friends that are gonna ruin your reputation. Go invite people over to your home that are nothing like you and then love the crap out of them, whether they ever love you in return and whether they ever believe what you believe. And in that moment, you become most like your savior. And I'm telling you, this whole idea of the church suddenly becomes personal and it becomes my church. I'm a part of this. Jesus has invited me in and I'm gonna invite other people to experience him. And I think you will experience and you will do more profitable things with your life. I don't think you'll do anything more significant than building and being a part of his church. When he, Jesus made this promise on the hillside, I'm gonna build my church. And I'm hoping at some point along the way as a follower of Jesus, you're able to say, my church, my movement, I've been invited in and I'm a part of this. And the gates of death in hell when you're on mission will not be able to stop it. And they did it and they won't. And so over this next week, just to give you really practical, you have an incredible opportunity before you and it's not making anybody a convert or a project. It's just seeing people as made in the image of God, but also recognizing that God's done something in our life and we're not better and we're just forgiven. And so I'm extending an invitation to come and see, and our church is not perfect by any means, but hopefully you're gonna get a little glimpse of what Jesus is actually inviting you into and that everybody can receive this offer and you have no idea what hangs in the balance of your courage to extend that. But here's what I do know. When people experience unfiltered what Jesus is offering, his good news is almost irresistible. Come, come discover a man who knows everything I've ever done, but he accepts me anyway. Would you guys pray with me, Jesus? I pray that you would do your thing in this moment. And I pray for some of us that this would be the moment that some of the shame that we have been carrying would be set aside in light of what you're offering and what you have given us and what you've done on our behalf. I pray for others that we have been held back by guilt, our inadequacy, our spiritual inconsistency. I pray this is the moment we would step out anyway and we would just make it a part of our message, our part of our invitation. I'm still in process. I have not arrived yet. There's still some things that are not right, but I'm telling you, there is something about Jesus. And in the midst of my mess, I'm telling you, God can do something in your heart. You need to come and see. I pray that we would be a church, that we would embody the body of Jesus that this would be one massive invitation to our community of we're in relationship with somebody who knows everything that we've ever done and he's accept us 
and he loves us anyway. And that God, you would use us to rep you in our city and community in such a way that people would be drawn to your message. And so God, do your thing in this moment, even over these next few days or this next year, I pray that you would give us the courage to just step out and to care about the people around us who matter to you. And our prayers we close and see is that spirit of God, you would move, that you would do what you've been doing for a long time. And wherever the spirit of God moves in our hearts and our church, there is freedom. And wherever the spirit of God is, chains are broken. And wherever the spirit of God shows off, fear no longer has any power. So God, that's our prayer. We pray this in Jesus' incredible name. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.